Welcome to Think Oral, where we connect the unconnected between oral and physical health. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Levine. And I'm your host, Maria Filipova. Let's get at it. Hello, everyone. We are so happy to have you back and join us for this, another exciting conversation in the series of the Think Oral Health podcast. I am joined, as usual, by my co-host and partner in crime, Dr. Jonathan Levine. We are exceptionally pleased with the conversation partner that we have for today's discussion because we are tackling a couple of topics that have not been top of mind or explicit in our conversations so far. As we've said, healthcare is personal, oral health is personal. And so today we're anchoring on the the patient experience and amongst the other very exciting topics. With that, Jonathan, do you want to tell us who is our guest today? Absolutely, Maria. So excited to have Dr. Craig Spodak. He is really a great thought leader in dentistry. He has a dental practice in Delray, over 50 doctors, clinical and business. It's an amazing facility. I've been down there whenever I have a patient emergency in the state of Florida. That's who I always call. Thank you, Craig, for always taking care of my patients. But really, Craig is such a thought leader as it relates to elevating the profession, understanding that when you are growing a business, it's all about the people side of the equation. He promotes the company's compassion-based core values, enables the team to provide patients with the highest caliber of a comprehensive care. He has a podcast himself. It's an amazing podcast. It's called the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Wrote a book on that. And when I was introduced to Craig almost 10 years ago, he was hard at it developing these principles that are really elevating the profession today. He has these amazing events for teams and their doctors uh, in Las Vegas usually. You don't want to miss this. If you are a young dentist and you are thinking about building your practice, you have to go to this. He's been a speaker for the Seattle Study Club, American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, and so involved in the industry on multiple levels. Can't wait to jump in and to hit some really hot topics, Maria, where Craig, I think, is going to give us some amazing insights. Love it. Let's kick it off. And Craig, welcome to the podcast. We're so happy to have you. Hey, thanks, guys. I'm really excited to be here. That It's been a, a long time coming, and I'm super happy about what you guys are doing. I'm a fan, obviously, of you, Jonathan, but nice to meet you, Maria, and I'm just well, pleased. Well, friends, that... just give me time, and you'll be a fan of Maria, too. Just... No, I am already, because I'm, I'm a fan of what you're doing. I'm a fan of anybody leaning in to help the profession. There's a lot of parasitic forces at work trying to pick us apart, and I like these constructive conversations that help the provider, so I'm really excited to jump in. Yeah. Right. Let's do that. Craig, you're a third generation dentist in your family. You've seen the evolution of this industry growing up and listening to the conversation around the dinner table of a profession that has been fragmented, that has been more of what we would call a mon-pop type industry. And now you are at the forefront of leading really a new direction from a standpoint of multi-doctor, large practice, incredible focus on culture and people. What have you learned in your couple of decades of dental practice and also having 
three generations of dentists that you've grown up with? That's a great question. So when you said mom and pop, it's funny because mom and pop were literally the dental practice owners. So I grew up at the dinner table with my mother and father talking about Mrs. Schwartz that came in and the broken temporary and the blah, blah, blah. And I remember being on family vacations and something would go awry and my dad could never really relax because when you're away from your, if you're a solo provider and you're away from your organization, every emergency is really your fault. You have an onus of responsibility to help that patient. I love my father. He's a great role model and mentor. And it really painted something for me that I said, I want to do things differently. And it wasn't really born out of building a business per se. It was just this idea that I wanted to revolutionize. At the time, I remember saying this, I wanted to revolutionize the way in which dental care is perceived and provided. And I never really wanted to be a dentist going back up a little bit. I saw my dad's life and although it was a good life and I just, it never, I was never drawn to it. My dad practiced in a small location here in Delray Beach. The office was not very remarkable and I was in college studying psychology and my father had to move out of his space and move to a different space. And I remember very distinctly when he remodeled his new space and it wasn't something crazy, but it was a refresh remodel, a new environment. And it lit a spark in me and it said, you know what, if he can do that, I could imagine doing dentistry completely different. And it lit a spark in me to think that I could build something that doesn't look, feel, or resemble a dental office, and I could physically transform the environment. And from that physical transformation of the environment, a whole myriad of possibilities could be developed from that. And what I love about dentistry, and what I'm so pleased to be talking to you today about, is I believe that dentistry is a very flexible business, meaning you can have it any which way you want. I have no, I'm super proud of my solo providers that are just literally just going in every day and doing their thing. I have friends that are practicing two, three days a week. They have no associates, no other people. They have a great life. And I also have friends that have 240 dental locations. And I love this idea that you can take your dental business and leverage it and maximize it for exactly what you wish to create, whether that's impact, scale, money, connection, whatever you want it to be, it can be. And that's the beautiful thing about our profession. So Craig, you said a couple of words that were really meaningful and I want to, I couldn't just let those words pass by. When you say you wanted to revolutionize the dental profession, what do you mean by that? At, at the time, uh, I'm not sure what I meant. I, I think it was, if I'm being intellectually honest, I think it was for significance. It was like a big screw it. I'm going to change things. I'm going to disrupt things. And I didn't really know. It was like a rebellious spirit that had me do what I did. Uh, I, you I changing? What were the first things that you started changing? The very first thing was I wrote this you know, kind of game plan. I called it a descriptive vision. I visualized, I wrote down a three-year plan of what my life is going to look like in three to five years. And I wrote it in the first person. I know a lot of your listeners are like, oh, geez, this is sounding boo-boo. I'm going to turn this crap off. But I'm going to speak to that skeptic. It was a very cool exercise to put pen to paper because you, you have an authenticity in you that won't allow you to BS yourself. So I wrote this idea about what I was going to create and how the building that I work in inspires me and how the team feels differently and how patients that come here are completely disarmed by what they see and what they feel. Because let's face it, no one wants to go to the dentist. And I, at the time, I was living in um, Washington, D.C. I was going to American University. I went there for undergrad. 
And I went into my first Starbucks location. This is probably like 1992 or three. So anyway, I walk in and I order a coffee and like, no, no, you want a grande lot. They spoke a different language. It felt different. And I was just wowed about this experience. And I love what Howard Schultz did. He took something that in America, which was mundane as coffee and changed it to an experience, the cafe experience, the Europeanization of America, as he called it. And I said, if he can do that with something that has a net positive like coffee, dentistry needs to have the same because we have a net negative. No one's, yes, I have a dental appointment today. So I just wanted to revolutionize it. I wanted to flip it on its head. So we spent an inordinate amount of money like crafting what would appear like a hotel environment. We built a lab on site, which at the time was not something that most people were doing. And really what I wanted to do is dive into the team. Because let's face it, patients don't readily perceive the value and the quality of the dentistry that they're getting. I wish they could interpret our margins and our quality, but they can't. So what do they do instead? They go on perceived value. And yeah. perceived value is oftentimes inferred by the quality of the connections of the team, the support team to the doctors. In fact, there was a study, and I know I'm talking a lot, I'll be quiet in a second. There was a study done in, in the book called If Disney Ran Your Hospital. And they said that one of the number one factors of the reason why a patient will send another patient to a hospital is not only the way the facility looks and feels, but the perception of how well the support team and doctors get along with each other, which points to the fact that patients are clueless about understanding the, the actual quality of the treatment they're getting. Yeah, it's fascinating that you went there because when you think about NPS scores by industry, right? If you're selling coffee and chocolate, it's easy to be in the 70s and 80s of an NPS score, right? Tesla is probably high up there in the 90s. But if you're, even if you're Amazon, high complexity, high supply chain issues, there's long, lots of ways to get this wrong, but it's still, you're bringing some sort of joyful experience akin to that Europeanized cup of coffee. But with dentistry, a lot of what we do to patients in dentistry is invasive, is scary sometimes painful, depending on who you sit in the dentist chair. And so being able to create some sort of a positive experience out of this scary moment in people's lives is truly next level challenging. That's why we see health plans and dental plans being in the 20s of the NPS score by industry versus the Teslas of the world who are in their 90s. It's so interesting, Maria. Well, I love where Craig took us because context is decisive. Context is decisive in that he grew up with a family of dentists and he said to himself in a very open mind, how do we create this reinvention? And this is, these are the, the disruptors of every industry, the innovators of every industry of how do we do things really completely different? I, I feel the same way because my own past was, I came out of a university which uh, had a great coach in, for the sport we played and we achieved the best we could achieve. And then I go into dentistry and I see this kind of solo climber sport. And I'm saying to myself, where's the team here? I've just learned how everything is possible with a team. Where's the team in dentistry? And so I arrived at a very similar place as to where Craig is. It, it hits me very deeply what Craig is saying. So let's keep going on that. Let's keep going on that. Craig, you've taken your thesis of the people side of the equation, the focus that you put into your people. How have you amplified that through all of the things that you're doing now to be able to get that right message for the next generation of dental professionals that are going into this industry? Because I think it's a, it's just a great story. 
That, that was the thesis for Bulletproof, the consulting company and podcast that we started. The genesis of it was my partner, Peter Bolden, was like in a dark place. He was feeling burnt out. Unfortunately, burnout is extremely common in dentistry. We're leading in all the wrong categories, drug abuse, burnout, suicide, depression, blah, blah. I think it's, unfortunately, it's part of the medical, the general medical profession. So he was in a bad place. He reached out to me and I didn't realize it was a cry for help at the time, but it was wrote me something on Instagram. He slid into my DM saying something along the lines of the air's pretty thin where we're at. Let me know if you're ever in Atlanta and we'll get together. And unbeknownst to him, I was observing what he was doing because he's an amazing business person and marketer. And from there, friendship was born. And he had two episodes of his podcast going. I inserted myself into that. And we arrived at this thesis that there's bullets coming in at the profession whether you believe that's HR complexity or regulation or insurance companies or DSOs or corporate takeover or regulation, we just found that there's an onslaught. And we believe in the cottage industry of dentistry, not that doesn't mean it should be expanded to every sector. And we're, I'm a champion for many DSOs as well. But we said for the private guy or gal who's trying to build something and stay independent, there's an onslaught and we want to help that person. So that's where this was born from. But the first step in whatever we do is trying to figure out what people want, because it's very easy when you see either a practice like Jonathan's or mine or somebody else's to say, I want that. And then there's always a question of why do you want it? And there's a, a very intricate process that we take people through in our mastermind of trying to distill down why they want something, because the greatest failure is getting everything you thought you wanted and still remaining unfulfilled. And it's incredible how much people will are willing to hijack someone else's cookbook or vision and they get there and then they're miserable. So during our in what we call the bulletproof pathway, the first step is like me and visioneering and figuring out what you want. And like I said earlier, dentistry is so beautiful because even if you're finding if you're listening to this right now and you're absolutely miserable, I'm sorry to hear that. But the good news is that you can pivot. Jonathan, if you're honest, think about how many times you pivoted in your career. And I've pivoted the same and dentistry has that flexibility. If you have a license and it's in good standing you're, and you're skilled, you can literally go to any part of the United States, maybe even there's a global focus and be successful. And it's if you know that, it's like knowing that you can never fail. What would you do? What could you create? And there's not a lot of businesses that have that level of, res of resiliency as we are privileged to have. Let's dig on that because it really comes, doesn't it come down to mindset where we start is not where we end up. The opportunity to constantly grow, the opportunity to lead your teams, the opportunity to build this amazing culture. Craig, what have you learned through this journey where we're hit with these challenges and healthcare is hit pretty hard with the challenges of running a business, understanding the clinical side, building teams, building a culture of engagement and trust and inspire type mindset. Have you learned th through this process that the, your masterclass, your podcast, your eventing in Las Vegas, where everybody comes together, what is that big learn and where is that great future for us as we think about current trends, dentist selling to DSOs, organized dentistry, and really the dentist thinking very entrepreneurial and uh, as an entrepreneur, how do we really appreciate the opportunities that are in front of us without the so-called selling out and, and potential burnout that professionals within healthcare, medicine, and dentistry face? 
Okay, there's a lot in there. So I broke it mm-hmm. down into what I learned first, and then we'll go into DSOs. And then yeah. there's a narrative that's pervasive in dentistry about you must sell or the tide's about to run out. So get on the bandwagon. And by the way, call me so I can make a vig on your practice when we do sell to private equity. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. So right. the first thing is like what I've learned. So I think that the most important thing is to never fool yourself and yet remember that you are the easiest person to fool. When I was younger and I was wanting to build this thing, I actually built it for, I think it was built for a reason that wasn't apparent to me. And I built it and I dreamt to do it. I wanted to do it. But when I got here and I arrived at the building, that was just step one of a really long journey that was filled with despair, difficulty, setbacks, regret, remorse, feelings of inadequacy, imposter syndrome. It brought me to a very dark place, which we don't have time to go through all this. Having said that, if I could go back into my timeline and surgically remove the bad points, just pluck them right out, I know I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I'm very proud and fulfilled with where I'm at today. So my advice to the younger people is understand what you want. Really make sure you're not just BSing yourself and really know why you want it. And then it's going to be very difficult. And perhaps somebody listening right now is in the midst of a storm. And all I can tell that person, as I tell my kids and the people I care about, it's good for you and it will pass and things will get better. And ultimately, when you get to the place where you wanted, you'll realize that you needed the pain. The pain brought me more empathy and made me able to connect with people in the dark times even though at times I was saying to myself, like, why is this happening to me? I can't seem to get ahead. It was all for my betterment, my growth. And I also believe that you have to convince yourself because people can feel exactly what you believe. So if you, I brought, I got this business, I opened it up and I'm a third generation, but my dad had really nothing really. He had a good name and he had, he was a good teacher, but it wasn't like a business. In fact, when I graduated um, dental school, he called me and said, listen, I don't think you should come to Florida. This thing's dying. So I joined him because that was the plan. I wanted to stick it out. But when I opened up this building, I was completely out of money. I built a very large facility, a $6 million loan, and a whole bunch of unanticipated things happen is when you build something. And I was out of money. And I was a complete panic animal. So regardless of the fact that I was reading the five levels of leadership by Maxwell and good to great and all that crap, Inside, I was walking around with a primary question of, I'm going to go out of business. No one freaking cares. I'm the only one holding the bag. And the, and although the words coming out of my mouth to my team were encouraging, my belief system was, you don't care. I'm all alone. And people felt it. So I had to go through a lot of pain, I, maybe not as much as I needed to go through, but I'm thick-headed and I had to get my ass kicked repeatedly to finally learn. And now, if I'm really honest, I say my primary question now is I can't believe how fortunate and blessed I am to be surrounded by such amazing team. The learning is that you have to believe it and you can't fake it. You have to find, you have to get to your own path of authenticity. And oftentimes it's a messy, unruly, difficult path. And I think we're meant to go through that. I don't think the struggle is sold separately. Yeah. (laughs) Maria, how about the clarity in that message, the honesty in the message? Because all of us go through 
these headwinds, these challenges. We like to say in my family, it's not the problems we face, it's how we face our problems. And it's really how we deal with these headwinds. And and Craig really symbolizes his growth mindset and the honesty and really how a person does grow. That's right. So that's this is such a great message for young professionals, right, Mary? I'm, I'd like to take that message to the young professionals and to the established uh, professionals who've been practicing for decades because you could struggle with being a newcomer and trying to build your practice and make a name, or you could struggle with the fact that you've done things for the last multiple de- decades and now things are changing. And for somebody who's uh, known dentistry, done dentistry, practiced dentistry, run their company for decades, change is scary. And what Craig, what you're describing is a mindset that says the only constant is change. Change is inevitable. We have to adapt, embrace, and let change grow us and teach us things. That's not common. At least my experience in dentistry is great, talented people want to keep doing what they've been doing for decades. And so I've come to appreciate with humility and curiosity that those types of dentists are well-intended, still care about their patients, but they just don't know how to change, to handle change. And they maybe don't, they're not ready to think about change, right? Maybe that's the stuff that the next generation was going to have to care about. So Craig and Jonathan, what is your advice or perspective on for those dentists out there who think that they have a good thing going and are scared to make changes? I always ask easy questions, I know. If we solve that, we have revolutionized dentistry, right? It's, Craig and I, we're very like-minded, I think, on this topic. And through the journey, there, if your mind is open, that everything is possible and you're constantly learning and there's a humility to building that competence and that learning coupled with why really understanding why we do what we do, that whole kind of purpose that gets instilled in your own thinking. And then you can translate that and challenge your team. Why I, I deeply believe on the concept of doing well and doing good, because I know through my own foundation work and helping people, in addition to the other things that I try to do, it brings a soulful, deep experience to really understanding this whole why, to help people who are disadvantaged or, or there's an inequality that has to be changed. And for me, it's it comes down to the constant challenge, which I, I embraced as a young athlete, but it's also translates as I went forward is that constant growth in my own mindset. So as the headwinds hit, as the challenges hit, realizing that's great because one thing I've always said to myself is go do it, is take the risk. And if you fail, go, just keep going forward, keep moving forward. And we learned that by taking risk and by having failures, that's when we really grow. And the feeling that Craig had when he stretched himself and he built this huge facility, it is absolutely the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in dentistry. It really is something special. And it inspired me when I saw it, that you, as a young person, he stretched himself with bank debt, with overhead, with payroll, with all the things that really could put a business owner in a dark place. He went forward and he learned and he led his team and he got through all of the, these difficulties, which is a terrific message. 
to the dentist entrepreneurs, because that's what every dentist is. They're entrepreneurs, they're innovators. Every healthcare profession professional has that opportunity to challenge themselves. And what do you always say, Marie, about our futures, right? That we create them. The best way to predict the future is to create it. That's why we're doing it. That's right. And you're living it. Yeah, it's as good as advice as it gets. And I spend a lot of time thinking about this because innovation, the intersection where I live is all about change and embracing change. Yeah. Greg, where do you sit in this one? I have a little bit of a counterpoint to you guys, although I really like it. I have the privilege of working with a lot of different dentists, a lot of different types of dentists. And what we have to, and again, it's a boring message, but I want to constantly beat on this drum. You have to figure out what drives you. So this was perfect for me. And I hear a lot of people, I work with people say, I want what you have. Why? Well, because I want to make money when I'm not there. Okay. Why don't you come down and spend a day here and see what my life is like? And maybe they're introverted, maybe they're not entrepreneurial, maybe they're just the type of people who just really more of a traditional dentist. And they come here and sometimes this lights me up. And other times like this is my absolute worst nightmare. And so I built something. What I'm most proud about is not the hustle and the struggle and all that, the sexy stuff. It's that I was intentional to figure out what drives me and I built that. And there's a lot of dentists that might be listening to this trying to say, I got to get an entrepreneurial edge. And they've built the facility and they're in the thick of it. And they realize, you know what? Holy crap, I really don't like this. So I'm equally fulfilled about helping people unwind their businesses to go back to dentistry or going back to single patient care as taking someone who wants to scale. And I think we have to realize the function of your small business, because I think if you're an owner of a business, even if you're a solo provider, you have to consider a small business. The function of your business is not recurring revenue. It's not solid management. It's not scale. It's to the degree to which it enables you to enjoy your life. Point blank, pencils down, that's it. So it's, I know it's sexy to talk about this and I have to always curb myself because I love this stuff. But I recognize that I'm doing a disservice for one of my masterminders if I tell them you should do this. People ask me all the time, like I'm some sort of like dental, like clairvoyant. What should I do? I'm like, are you happy? Yeah. Do you want to make more money? Yeah, I guess so. But not really. I don't really care. I'm like, then why are you asking me? What can you look at my P&L? I'm like, what's your profit? What do you want your profit margin to be? Would you like my life? That's an irrelevant question. And frankly, no, I would not like your life. But you might not like mine. And I think there's a lot of consultants and narrative in dentistry, one being which you spoke about before that you should sell. Another one being that you should scale, you should be a CEO, you should be a multi-doctor location uh, owner. And there's a lot of big business in that. There's, there is a narrative that supports industrial dentistry to scale and grow. And believe me, the big companies want you to buy 20 more, 30, 40 more chairs. The banks will loan you the money at 100% or 105%. And there's a lot of headwinds pushing dentists into entrepreneurial activities that I don't think they either want or frankly are suited for. So we get out of school and we get a license and we have no business training and a lot of us get in a lot of trouble that way. I appreciate what you're describing at at the individual level. And ultimately, if you're not fulfilled with what you're doing, Everything else is irrelevant. The PL, the accolades, the growth. But help me reconcile the statements around 
because I actually ascribe to that same vision of revolutionary, revolutionizing dentistry and reconciling that ambition with the statement around do what you're happy. And if you're happy to be a traditional dentist and keep doing fill, drill, bill type of drill, fill, bill type of model, don't change. If you're not, if you, if change doesn't make you happy, if you want to be the traditional dentist who supports and in fact, make sure that things stay the same the way our grandparents and parents' generation has done it, that I don't understand how it actually fits with the notion that the future of dentistry is outside of the dental clinic. It's mental de- medical dental integration, is digitizing workflows, is change. So how do you think about that? Because we do need a certain tipping point of change agents who are going to embrace that change to, tra- to transform and revolutionize dentistry. Yeah, I, that's a great discernment there. What I was referring to is not a solo practitioner who wants to practice grandma-style dentistry. I was saying at the business model level. So when I'm talking about a solo practitioner, it's incumbent upon that solo practitioner to stay abreast of technology. So I wasn't thinking of someone that was going backwards and using a foot-powered handpiece. Yeah, um, I'm a style dentistry. About... I think we coined the new term that's going to it's going to catch our fire. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag grandma's dentistry. Yeah. I think it's I think it's obviously incumbent upon the dentist to stay relevant. I was talking about a business model decision. So I have a lot of dentists who enjoy patient care and they have one-on-one patient care and they're staying abreast of technology and trends and they're providing really exceptional dentistry that I think both Jonathan and I would be a fan of. And then there's another set subset that are like, okay, I want to turn this into an entrepreneurial activity and I want to scale my reach through the hands of others. And rather than have one-on-one patient interaction, have 20 patients at a time or 50 patients at a time. I just think the trap that I'm speaking to, I have a predisposed bias that we, the people with the microphones, are sending out a message to encourage people who don't desire or have the raw talent or initiative to be entrepreneurs. I'm fair. guilty of that. I, and there's early the survivor in my bias, right? No VCs talks about the seven investments that actually failed. Seven out no. of 10 early entrepreneurship endeavors fail. But you only hear right. about the three that make it and one right. that maybe is called Unicorn. So I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I would add to this, I'm down the middle of the highway of this conversation because I do think dentistry is a team sport. And I do think that we've evolved in innovation where you want to be exposed to the best of the best as relates to innovation technology. And for the people who are less entrepreneur, entrepreneurial, they join organizations that they don't have to take on the burden of running a practice, paying payroll, of being that major, that kind of leader. They have that opportunity to be part of that team. Because, Craig, t- let's just switch gears a little bit and talk about the growing trend of the DSO, why it is working, why it's starting to get up to 25 to 28% of the revenue of all of dentistry. And it doesn't look like it's going to be slowing down. Let, let's go after that trend because I, th- I think we can unpack why this trend is what it is. And, and how do we merge what you're talking about, what Maria's talking about, what I'm talking about with innovation and newness and the highest level of delivery of care for our patients? I think one of the things that's causing the 
increase of consolidation or DSO percentage. First of all, things tend to consolidate. Let's look at vet and derm. Veterinary medicine and dermatology is largely majority consolidated by most index. Maria, you probably have a, a way to speak on that more intelligently than me, but it's higher than dentistry. Yeah. Yeah. So I think most industries through private equity and private markets are tending to consolidate. So there's that force. The second thing that's happening is it's becoming, you have to be a more sophisticated business operator to be a dentist these days. When my dad, who graduated Temple University in 1967, opened up here in Florida in the 70s, he literally had a sign and day one, patients started showing up. If you had a place to sit and a place to spit and you were a good person, a good provider, you could wind up becoming successful by default. So I think the complexity of the landscape of small business ownership for dentistry is different. I remember as the first guy with a website in the late 90s and the entire Delray Beach community dentist was like revolting against me. Like, how could you advertise? Now it's commonplace. So there's just layers of complexity. I think the third factor is the financial headwinds against the dentist. When we look at a lot of our graduating young dentists and they're saddled with 500,000 plus of debt, and we look at the trend lines of average dental compensation being around 180K and flatlining, so student debt rising, compensation flatlining, how is that dentist going to then say, I'm going to take out an additional blank dollars and open up a practice? So I think those major forces are at work and they're all, in my opinion, they're going to increase. I think things happen slowly until they're all of a sudden. And I believe the future of dentistry is largely consolidated. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I don't, I'm not poo-poo on the DSO. I think that there's, you can't cut with those broad brushstrokes. There's a lot of DSOs that are iconic in my opinion, mm -hmm. but the pleasure of working with them. And I talk to a lot of dentists, they reach out to me. I had one reach out this week to me and I get this story more often than I'd like to hear. But I was, and the story goes, I was working at the local practice with a private owner and my paycheck came in and it was a quarter of what it should have been. Yeah. Or, and I'm like, why? He never wanted to give me a contract. And I know he's paying me 32% he said he was, then he deducted all the stuff and he changed his mind. And I hear that more often than not, again, it might be my bias, mm -hmm. but Jonathan, I'd love to hear your thought on this. I hear that more often than not from the unsophisticated private doctor that has just one associate that he wants to, quote, give all the crap to. Yeah. DSOs couldn't do that. They couldn't entirely rip off or violate a contract with their doctors. It would be, they wouldn't get any yeah. uh, doctors to work with them. So I think DSOs raise the bar on the minimum standard, in my opinion. Yeah. What, Jonathan, what do you say to that? Yeah, no, look, the big positive of DSO is an organizational approach to dentistry, where you have business people with the opportunity to develop functionalities along the lines of growing a business from QAQC, from clinical education to proper financials, to a good marketing messaging to the pay, all the way, everything you need in growing any business, the individual dentist, it's very hard. I'm always gonna say impossible to do it by themselves. And what, you, what you're referring to, look, 70% of all partnerships Prior to the DSOs becoming so popular in the last five to seven years, 70% fail, and they still fail. 
And it's because of the lack of sophistication of the dentist coming out of dental school, not learning a lot of these types of soft skills, retrading on something that was said, not creating contracts, not clarifying between parties. Though there are business concepts that do need to get learned and sometimes it's missed by many professionals. So this growing trend, we could look at it if the vision of the leadership of these DSOs are in the right place and are focused on both the patient and Craig, tell me if you agree on this, and Maria, the patient and your team and the culture is in on that team. And it's all about the care of that patient, the highest level possible, whether you're out of network, in network, feed for service, but you have that vision of a highest level of care, then we're moving in the right direction. And Maria, what would you say to that? I'm going to go back to, I'm going to steal a line out of Craig's book and go back to what drives you. Why are you going to dentistry? Are you going to dentistry because you want to pay off your student debt? Are you going into dentistry because you are a third generation dentist and you don't know any, and, or are you going into dentistry because you want, you care about patient care and there's nothing else in the world you could possibly do. So start with, why are you building this career path? Why are you building this company? And if you're optimizing for money, there's other ways you could make probably much more money with much easier and less uh, headwinds coming your way, right? I keep going back to Peter Thiel's fellowship. He gives $100,000 to people to drop out of college. If you have an idea, if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to make money, don't go to college, waste four years of your life. Here's 100K starting capital, right? Since 2011, 11 unicorns. $1 $1 billion valuation companies have been founded by the Peter Thiel uh, fellows. And so it goes back to if you are the type of risk tolerance individual who is out there to disrupt industries, has a burning idea, dentistry could still be your playing field, but do you need to be in dental school to actually create meaningful impact in dentistry? A great, great concept, Maria. And I'm hoping the answer is, no, no, you don't need to go to dental schools because otherwise all outsiders and people like me have no shot in, in making an impact. But that's how I think about this because we always, we're so constrained by this, the dental school debt and paying off loans. That's a choice that we made. It's an investment. And if it, it's aligned with why we go to dentistry, then that's not a bad thing. Maria, you are describing my two sons. I said, you millennials, you're geniuses. You're going into the family business without going to seven extra years of school like your old man. And here they are. They started this oral health, oral care, this brand called Twice. So that's exactly right what you're saying. People like you and my sons and people going into dentistry, the reason why dentistry is, is growing so beautifully is innovation is coming to dentistry. And it's not just the the practitioners and clinicians that are driving the day. It's really everybody else from the outside. Let's take this, Craig, let's bring this all together. If you had to send the young aspiring dentists a message from the all of these wonderful things that you're doing to elevate our profession, what would you say, what would you say to them? I would just clearly tell them, and it's me being a broken record again, really distill down what you want to take from your career because it is so amazing what dentistry can be. It it can literally be anything you want. I would say 
screw the narrative that you have to own your own practice because when you own a practice, you are coupling your salary and your income to your retirement plan. And concentration in one specific area is a great way to get rich and a great way to lose everything. So if you are an entrepreneurial dentist, you have options. You could work with a guy like Dr. Levine or me or a DSO, and you could take your entrepreneurial endeavors and want to invest them elsewhere. You could own real estate or do things for organized dentistry, and you could decouple your salary and your income from your retirement strategy. It's not so binary. There's more than one way to do this. And I think I would tell you to rid yourself of the shame of the just an associate or only have one practice or whatever else, because there's such a powerful narrative telling you that you should be something. And I don't want you to fall victim to that. So maybe my advice in a nutshell would be to write out what you want out of your career. And maybe that's too lofty. Maybe it's just a three to five year vision of what you find important. And as you're writing it, you'll have an auto indication of whether you're being authentic or not. So write it down, write out the goals and examine what you want. That would be my advice to you. So great, so great, so powerful. Huh, Maria? My advice is surround yourself with people you wanna be with and you wanna be when you grow up. I'm the type of person who, I'm an amplifier. If I'm around people who are positive, I give 10x positivity and vice versa. That works in both directions. So it took me years to figure out the people you surround yourself have has disproportionate impact on your own well-being and happiness level. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, lo- I want to take that one too. Show me your five friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to be, you have to drop people, but be discerning with who you surround yourself Who with. do you hire in your practice? Who are the dentists that you hire in your practice? It's the same. It takes every aspect of life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. It, it, it goes back to the old expression. We are the company we keep yeah. and there is an alignment and I would just add to this, look, we have an opportunity and we see it as the decades go on to really help people become the best they can be. And this whole concept of servant leadership within any profession, within in anything we do. And the whole concept is if we help these everybody around us be the best they can be, then in turn, we become the best we can be. And purpose really per, is pervasive in our lives. And I, I think we're, we all align on that. What Maria, how great is this conversation? I really want the dental profession and the young dentists to really listen to what Craig is talking about, really understanding what is going, what's important for you. Not that somebody gave you the shoulds or that shame-based kind of conversation, you need to do this or you should do this. It's what do you really want? And Craig, I, I think that's an amazing message for our our dental profession and the young aspiring dentists. Yeah. And if you want to step on the gas, I got a program for that. There you go. (laughs) If you want to hit the throttle and do something extraordinary and all that, we got a program for that. We we can teach you how to scale, but you got to choose your own adventure. This is your life and it's got to be right for you. On that note, yes, time to take action. Thank you. Grateful for the time, Craig. And I think every time we we say, boy, how are we going to top that one? And today we said, quite the high bar and expectations. So I think I'm very grateful we made that happen. That was great. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy we had a chance to. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. And I'm proud of what you guys are doing. And I'm really proud of this message because listen, if it lands on one or two people that really needed to hear it, that's a success for all of us.
Thanks for listening to the Think Oral Podcast. For the show notes and resources from today's podcast, visit us at www.outcomesrocket.health slash thinkoral. Or start a conversation with us on social media. Until then, keep smiling. And connecting care.